Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 6, Lesson 2. We are going to pick up in, on page 39, and I'm going to repeat the last sentence that I, uh, that I said in the previous lesson, just so we can tie these thoughts together. We just finished reading John chapter 18 and verse 28, and I said there, while these religious men had no problem condemning an innocent man to death, they would have no part in defiling themselves by going into the Roman governor's headquarters and missing out on their precious Passover feast. But the sad truth of the matter was that no amount of Passover feasts were going to make up for the fact that they were about to murder their own Messiah and end up going to hell over it if they didn't repent. In fact, Stephen warns them of this in Acts chapter 7, when he says in verses 51 through 53, he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and years. So he's identifying them and saying, You think you're Jews, but you really are not. In the flesh you might be, but in the heart you are not. Amen? Notice uncircumcised hearts and ears, which is very significant. Remember Jesus said, Let he that has a ear, let him hear. Okay? All right. And he was talking to people with ears. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's talking about hearing hearts. And he says, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I think that is really significant. That they, He says, you are like your fathers who always resist the Holy Spirit. Which means, do you understand the Holy Spirit is that inner guide? That, that it's an inner voice. And he's saying, there is something on the inside that you con- uh, like consistently, constantly, I'm trying to say the both words together, consistently and constantly reject. So every time something rises up and it doesn't suit you, you just get rid of it. And so he says here, you are just like your fathers, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Verse 52, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Wow, (laughs) That's, that's a big statement, man. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect... Through, the, through angels, but have not obeyed it. So he's saying, you, uh, anyway, yeah. <clears throat> verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at them. They didn't repent again. We have this problem. You know, I think it's, it's just incredible that these people thought so much of themselves that they believed that they were right about everything. And even when they were shown up for the things that they were doing wrong, they would be met. You know, Proverbs says, if you rebuke a fool, there will be a blood on you. You know, in, in other words, it's saying that foolish people, when they're rebuked, they retaliate. Oh, he says, but if you rebuke a wise person, he'll be your friend. In other words, people that have wisdom, then somebody comes and says, you've done something wrong. They say, oh, thank you for pointing that out to me. Because they want to make their life better. Amen? Amen. I could preach on that, but that's the short version. It goes on to say, in verses 53 to 57 through to 60, when they cr- uh, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. Isn't that incredible? They made enough noise that they couldn't hear, and even then they stopped their ears. And ran at him with one accord. This was in unison. Verse 58, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Beautiful people. And the witness laid down... The witnesses, excuse me, laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who would one day in the future go on to say, once he received the new birth, I have wronged no man. Isn't it interesting when he was the one behind this? But he realized that, therefore, if anyone is a new creation, hmm, 
Amen. Anyway, let's back, let's go back to this. <clears throat> Verse fifty-nine. Then and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not charge them with this sin." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So not only did they murder their Messiah, but Stephen as well. And I'm sure at the time of their uh, <clears throat> at the time of their death. When they finally arrive in hell, instead of heaven, they would remember all that was said to them, especially Jesus' words in Luke 13, 28. That there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. And that brings us back to Matthew 5 and verse 20, when Jesus said to his disciples, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, he wasn't making a light statement. There was so much about them that was wrong. Amen? And I think one of the key things that he was trying to bring across, <clears throat> to their, bring to their attention, was that don't be outward. God looks on the heart. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to go on to chapter 20. <clears throat> and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I just want to include this in the, in the life of Jesus. So let me just get through this as quickly as I can. Is that okay? All right. Now that Jesus had made it clear that God looks in the heart and not outward appearances, He goes and address the only two sins that have, had, that have had no way of atoning for by way of sacrifice, and that is murder and adultery. Seen a lot of things that you can make up for the bad thing you did, but how do you make up for killing someone and they're not here anymore? Do you know what I'm trying to say? And the same thing with adultery, you know, it's something you can't reverse. So he begins with the sin of murder, which God forbids in the sixth commandment, and says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Verse 22, But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And again, this is not just talking about anger. Some people go and preach and say, if you're angry, you murdered them. <laughs> okay? Now I want you to understand, he says, without a cause. I've added a word there in the past, and please allow me to add it. Um, because I believe in the, in, the, in the actual text, that's what it actually says. Can I add the word righteous? Can I say to you, whoever is angry with his, brother, uh, with his brother without a righteous cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In fact, if there's no right reason to be angry with someone, then you've got a problem. Remember, Jesus was angry when he went to the temple. Remember that? And he, he, he threw out all the money changes and everybody else. He wasn't peaceful Jesus back then. <laughs> okay? He, you, know, you don't roll over stuff and everything just you know, really calm. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and there was a reason, because... His father's house had turned into a den of thieves, and it was meant to be a house of prayer. And he was angry, and rightfully so. So he's not going to teach you something else, and say, well, 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 you know, forget about that. I'm just telling you, if you're ever angry, you're, you've sinned. He'll never do that. So that's the reason why, like I said, if you allow me to just add that word, and it makes a lot more sense. When he says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without the righteous cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You know, you all remember? Well, anyway, we'll go through it. <laughs> Before we go and look at these verses in detail, notice first of all how Jesus begins verse 21. 
saying again, you have heard that it was said. And then goes on to say, but I say to you. This turn of phrase is going to occur a total of six times in the verses that follow. Um, as Jesus, in the words of William Hendrickson, sharpens the edge of every precept. And points out that ultimately it is the heart that is at the root of every transgression. You know, that's, as much as we're going through this, it just keeps coming back to the one thing. If I could tell you one thing, it's check your heart. Amen? Everything is about your heart. Everything that it is talking about. He addresses the first of these transgressions in Matthew 5.21, when he says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So first let's continue the phrase, those of old. In his commentary, William Hendrickson explains that in latter Jewish writings, following the law of Moses, such famous rabbis as Hillel and these guys, okay, were called fathers of antiquity. The designation, the men of long ago or those of old, is accordingly an excellent designation for those who had orally interpreted the written Old Testament. See, this is where the whole problem started. They orally interpreted the written word of God. They interpreted it. So they say, well, this is what it says, this is what it means. And that changed things over time and uh, until Jesus came and they didn't recognize him. That's why Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, referring to the oral teaching and tradition of the elders, as opposed to that which had been put down in a document. Therefore, it is clear that when Jesus says, you have heard, but I say, he is drawing a contrast between two positions that are sharply opposed. So he's saying, listen, you, you've heard it said, but I am saying. In other words, he's saying what you have heard said that was seemingly based on the word of God is no longer anywhere close to the word of God. Because I'm going to tell you something different that is actually in line with the Word of God. Amen? Okay. Now as, the, as to the transgression itself, <clears throat> he quotes from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, which simply says, you shall not murder. And as to what murder is, the answer is found in Proverbs chapter 6, where it lists the seven things that the Lord hates, and simply says in verse 17, hands that shed innocent blood. That is the best definition of murder there is. Okay, I've found anyway. It is hands that shed innocent blood. Amen? Okay. Therefore, in relation to this crime, Jesus says that you've been told uh, uh, by those of old that whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment or literally deserves to be punished with death. Okay, that was what the judgment was. On the surface, there is nothing wrong with this statement. After all, Genesis 9.6 did say that whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. This is the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth business. Okay? Alright. However, what Jesus was supposed to was that, <coughs> was <laughs> what was not said and not emphasized. To help us understand what that was, William Hendrickson explains, Moses had emphasized love for God and love for man. Okay, that's Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Not only that, but the very first domestic quarrel narrative, the story of Cain and Abel, had in a very impressive manner pointed out the evil of jealous anger as being the root of murder. Alright, I've given you scripture references. Accordingly, Jesus, in interpreting the sixth commandment as he does, is showing what it had meant from the very beginning. And what the sixth commandment uh, meant was that God's judgment goes far beyond the act to the inner 
attitude that produces the act, be it murder or adultery. Can I just take a minute just here? I just need to explain something to you guys. I'm going through this really quickly. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, some people say, well, eye for an eye, two for two. That's a really bad thing. But you need to understand it, it said an eye for an eye. It didn't say eyes for an eye. Okay? And teeth for a tooth. What, what that was, was, see, what people would do, if somebody come and, you know, kill somebody, they would go kill the whole family. Do you understand? So one person dies over here, and the whole family dies over there. And so, the, the reason that the law came in, was to stop that from happening. If one person died on this side, only one life can be taken from the other side. You can't go kill off the whole tribe, because you're really mad. You know what I'm trying to say? So, as barbaric as it sounded, it stopped basically people just doing extraordinary, you know, just overreacting and doing too much in retaliation, okay? Or retaliating in a very bad way. Let me put it that way. All right? So, that's, so as much as it was not a good thing, it was still better than what they were doing. So it said, one tooth, one tooth. You can't go take the whole guy's mouth out. You know, okay? If it's one of this, it's one of that. If it's two of this, it's two. So, okay. So I just need to explain that to you before we go on. Alright. In other words, divine, righteous, divine righteousness demands that the very desire to harm is dealt with and purged. So what Jesus is doing now, he's saying, listen, as much as it, you know, the Old Testament did talk about a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, okay? They come and attack you, you go and attack them sort of thing. He's saying, listen, I'm going to teach you another way now. Because a new kingdom is coming in. Okay? Hands that war now will be hands that heal. You're with me. Something new is coming to this earth. And so he's saying, you know, instead of going and killing somebody else, why don't you raise this one back up? A whole new way of thinking. But that's not going to work if you have this revenge attitude. Because you can't do this kind of, these kind of acts of faith when your heart is full of strife. Anger, murder. Okay? So you have to have a different... See, do you all understand why Jesus said, why he brought this whole thing about love in? Do you understand why he was talking, about, talking to his disciples about... You know, talking to mountains and saying, don't doubt in your heart. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm showing you the way to walk in the kind of faith that does miracles. And in order to do that, you need to not be angry. You need to not be mad. You can't take vengeance. You can't do any of that stuff. Because all vengeance will do is take something away from that person like they took something away from you. Now somebody on that side is going to get upset because you took something away from them. And they're going to want to come and take something back from you. And he said, listen, the way to break that cycle is if somebody comes and takes something away from you, you look to God to restore it. And you break the cycle. And so there's no vengeance on either side. Amen? And who knows what happens in the future. You know, sometimes worst enemies become best friends. You know, you just never know what the devil is trying to bring strife in when he sees a possible future for that. Just saying. Anyway, uh, where was I? Yada, yada, yada. Oh, here we are. Okay. So <laughs> in other words, can I reread this? Uh, divine righteousness demands the very desire to harm is dealt with and purged. And why Jesus goes and says in Matthew 5.22, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Alright, what Jesus wants to do is resist beginnings. I really love that. It was a little phrase I picked up 
It says resist beginnings. That's why he says deal with the thought. If you deal with the thought, the action will never eventuate. Amen? Everything begins with the thought. You know you're never going to find your body doing something and you didn't actually think about doing it. You know what I'm trying to say? You're not going to find yourself driving a car and you didn't think about it. You better have your brain, mind on it. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, so anyway, he's, so again, I've said what Jesus wants to do is resist beginnings. If we don't allow the thought in, we won't have to deal with and repent for the action that may result from it. The Apostle Paul understood this and said in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5, he says, For the weapon, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice, we don't leave strongholds where they are. We pull them down. We don't ignore them. We don't get counseled out of them. Okay, I'm saying something here. Okay, we pull them down. And see, this is what we have not been taught. We still don't know how to... You know, to take authority over something and pull the thing down. And so he says here, But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want you to notice one of the key things here is to cast down imaginations. So many strongholds are in your mind. In fact, I would say, most of the strongholds that we have are in our mind. I know there are strongholds in the heavenlies. I know there are things that are going on up there. But most of the things that defeat us are the things that are on the inside of us. Amen. And if we can pull those things down, uh, we'll be free of those things and live a really different life. Anyway, he says, casting on imagination every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And he says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, if anything is going against God, against Christ. You know, and that's in anything in life. You know, sometimes we allow science to just run amok and we think, well, you know, that's science. Hey, anything, can I say that? That is opposed to it. We need to bring to, to the obedience of what the Word of God actually says. Amen. And I know some of you are doing it. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in fact, Jesus reveals a key to dismissing thoughts by saying in Matthew chapter 6 and the first part of verse 30, uh, 31, he says, Therefore, take no thought saying. This is a real key, by the way. You know, he's saying, in other words, you have a thought, shut up if it's not a good one. <laughs> okay. Just don't say it because you say it and you record it. It's a funny thing when you say something out loud, which is the reason why on the plus side, confessing stuff over yourself is really great. You confess over yourself. Uh, you know, you, instead of saying, oh my God, I'm always forgetting things, say, I have the mind of Christ. I know we say that. I understand. Sometimes we'd say jokingly. That's okay. I'm not talking about the joking part. Okay, I am saying it. I'm, I'm talking about you being serious about things. And you really... <sighs> putting something into the system that is not good for it, and causing it to start to spiral downward as a result of it. You know, there's a lot of things, I'll be, you know, I'm teaching on a lot of different things at the moment, and we're going through the epistles of John, which is fantastic, but you know, there, there is this side, this faith side, that you need to understand what you say matters. Amen? That you're listening to the things that you say. And that's the reason why there's sometimes, you know, sometimes you need to talk to yourself and say, Self, we're not doing that again, ever! You need to say that. 
Amen. Or you know, sometimes you just don't want to do something and you say, come on, get up, go and do it. Just get up. I mean, you know, you've seen people, especially when they're exhausted physically, you know, when, when people are training and stuff. I remember when I, was, when I was training and, you know, they'd be physically draining and it'd say, all right, everybody out. I'm thinking, get up, get up, get up. And I'd say it out loud of my mouth and say, Roche, get up. And we just bounce up, <laughs> okay? And some days you need to do that. And in the same way, you know, people that are just about to run, you know, or in the races and in athletics and stuff, a lot of them use what they call self-talk. Do you know that? They actually talk to themselves. They say, as soon as I hear that gun going off, I'm just, just going to explode and cross that finish line. I don't know what anybody else is doing here because I'm crossing that line before them. Hey, if you don't have that attitude, don't even bother getting in the race, man. I mean, you know, just go home. So, okay, so Jesus, he's the master of all this. He says, take no thought, saying, if you don't want to take a thought, don't say it. How many times have you thought of something, listen, and you forgot it, and it was something really important? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you something here. Speak it out. I need to go and do this. Just say it out loud, and it'll make a tag in your little mind, and... At least you know you said something that was important. You need to do something. I don't know how many times I've had a thought and just left it and I forgot I had the thought. Until much, much later. And I thought, oh, I forgot to. And, you know, it's, yeah, anyway. All right. In other words, uh, even though we may be angry about something, on the inside, one way to not give it, give it a foothold in our life is to not say it. Because James warns us in James chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A tiny spark can set a great forest fire. You all know that, right? It takes so little to start something really big. And he says, he, he likens it to the tongue. Verse 6, it says, And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Amen? Amen. So we just need to... Be careful. All right, now return in Matthew 5.22. I could preach on this, but I'm not. I'm resisting the temptation. All right, returning to five, Matthew. I know what's in front of you. You know, I know what we need to get to, and I want to get to it. Returning to my, Matthew 5.22 in the Greek. The word angry is actually a description for a brooding inward anger. Notice it's not just a fleeting anger. It's a brooding inward anger, as opposed to an outward demonstrative anger, which would be the result of inward anger. That immediately tells us that this sin is often the result of the sin of unforgiveness, according to Mark 11.25. And why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do you know, in other words, he's saying don't take anger to bed with you. It is an amazing thing how we take something and it gets internalized. And then we're depressed somewhere down the line and we don't know why. Because we've been swallowing all this stuff and taking it with us. Get rid of it. Anyway, it goes on to say, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. You all see that? Amen? <clears throat> Amen. Alright. The reason that the devil has such a mighty foothold is because it is literally sin upon sin. The sin of unforgiveness on top of the sin of anger. And almost impossible to reason with and turn back around. See, people get to a place where they're so angry, you can't reason with them. 
I don't know if you ever run into somebody like that. You just, I mean, you look at them and you think, there's no way they're going to hear anything I'm saying. Because they're just so mad. And they're all, you know, they just don't want, to, they don't want to turn from that anger. Okay. But Jesus doesn't stop at being angry, but goes on to qualify what kind of anger he is making reference to by saying in Matthew 5.22, Whoever is angry without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. William MacDonald explains, Most people can find... A, five more minutes, okay? And we'll be done. All right. Most people can find what they think is a valid cause for their anger. But anger is justified only when God's honor is at stake. Or when someone else is being wronged. This is very important. It is never right when expressed in retaliation for personal wrongs. Amen? Do you all understand all of that? Okay. It's not, it is not all about you. You know, if you're getting mad because people are doing something to other people, you're defending people. See, we are all here to serve one another, not ourselves. Amen? And as somebody once said, you know, I think it was a knight's creed or something that says, in serving others, we serve ourselves. And it is so true. Whatever you sow, you reap. And I've, I just know that to be true in so many areas of life. And I don't have time to go and share all that with you. The Pharisees were the greatest offenders of this particular sin. Even though they prided themselves for not having killed anyone, they were constantly committing murder in their hearts. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Okay, so in other words, you know, as far as men were concerned, they were always doing the right thing. As far as God was concerned, the way they had, the thoughts they had, the strife they had, the anger they carried, they were constantly committing murder in his sight. Incredible. With Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 saying, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Verse 2. So, they watched him closely, whether, they, he, uh, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Can you believe this? So that they might accuse him. They, don't, they haven't done anything to help this man, and now they're looking to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. Was bless God, this man should have a withered hand all the way through the Sabbath. He should keep it till the next day. Is what they're thinking. I mean, he shouldn't be healed today, like they could ever heal. Isn't it interesting? Verse 3, and he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. I like that Jesus didn't deal with it in the background. He says, come here, stand up. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Isn't this a brilliant question? He said, you've got this horrible thought in your brain. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Are you meant to do good things or bad things on the Sabbath? That's it. But they kept silent. And when he had looked around them, watch this with anger. Remember I told you, if it's not a righteous cause? Do you understand now why? Okay, because it's okay to be angry when it's the right reason. Okay, if it's a righteous cause, you can be angry. Um, Again, don't carry it to bed with you. All right. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch forth or stretch out your hand. And he's stre- in this wonderful, in the middle of this strife, in the middle of you know this group of people that were in absolute opposition to the power of God working, he still does this. He cuts through all of that. He keeps his he keep Jesus keeps his heart and his eyes on this man and his healing. 
And I think we need to be so careful that we don't let the devil come in and distract us from the actual issue at hand. Because that's what he does. We start to do something good, and he'll bring something else that just makes us mad and upset and angry. Hey, we're all, you know, I'll put my hand up. And then we forget the good that we're doing because we're so upset with what's going on over here. Amen? But I want you to watch, as much as Jesus was mad with them, he still healed this guy. Amen. So it says here again, um, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. I really love that, that it says it was as whole as the other. In other words, you couldn't tell the difference anymore. Praise God. Then the Pharisees praised God and said, hallelujah. Then, <laughs> no. God, just one time you want them to say that, you know. <laughs> then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians, these are their enemies, by the way, against him, how they might destroy him. This, this, to me, this is always astounds me. That something miraculous happens, something incredible happens. You know, you're seeing somebody's hand being restored. I mean, you should be just sitting there in awe, going, wow, we've never seen stuff like this. You know, as much as we don't like this guy, I mean, this is, look at the results. You'll know them by their fruit. You know, this is really good fruit. Maybe we need to check up on what we think is wrong. Because they kept thinking that he was blaspheming against God, and yet he was doing the works of God. Do you understand? See, people say, oh, well, you know, we understand the Pharisees, you know. We can see how they could be very protective. That they would be saying, you know, they're trying to preserve. And somebody comes and says, they're God. Of course, that would upset them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they just said they were God, that would be upsetting. <coughs> but hap- what happens when they do the works of God? Come on, man. I mean, give us a break. You can't excuse them. Really. Not when they're sitting and seeing this stuff happening. And then this is their, their reaction. Sorry I preached. Alright, <laughs> let's, let's get back. Oh, it's 30 minutes. Um, let me see. Can I stop here? Give me one second. Yeah. So here again, instead of repenting of their sins against, sin against God, these rebellious religious leaders continued in their transgressions to where what was in their heart and minds soon manifested in the natural with John chapter 19 and verse 6 reporting, and we'll finish on this scripture. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Isn't that sad? Amen? That's where they got to. And that's why Jesus is saying, Don't let it, don't let the, you know, the, the, the epistles tell us, Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Just make sure. You don't go to bed angry. Amen? Don't ever have a lifestyle of anger. It's okay to be angry, just like it's okay to grieve. But it always needs to be brief. Amen? You don't want it to debilitate. So, anyway. So say, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, notice the progression here. First, what they thought led to what they said. Second, what they said led to what they did. Specifically, murdering their Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's only Son. Let's stop there. And we'll pick this up next time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today for this wonderful opportunity to once again receive your word and insight into this word. And Father, I just thank you that it constantly reminds us 
of the things that we need to do. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is here to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to get us to a place where we're living a victorious life, a blessed life, a life that shines. Hallelujah. And Father, I just pray over every single person here right now. I just thank you for your hand of blessing upon them and your hand of safety. I thank you, Father, that you continue to look after them and bless them in every way. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.